0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. I'm Edward Rudusel, and if you are not following along on Instagram, Arthur is still in Kathmandu. He's actually going to be in Kathmandu for several months. Um, we posted a pic up today of him sitting around with some gurus. I, I'm not sure they're gurus, but they certainly look like it. And he's out there finding out what the hell's going on in the world, I guess. Um but today, my guest is Nikki Sutton, who is an interior designer and has worked with me on several restaurants and has worked in Indianapolis um, amongst several commercial projects, restaurants, bars, et cetera. And so we're, today, we're talking a little bit about design. So welcome to the show, Nikki.
1: Hi, thanks. We'll try to stay focused.
0: Yeah, we'll try. We've, we're already a bottle of wine in. We're about halfway through another bottle. So.
1: And it's late.
0: It is late. <laughs> and this is the first time we've ever actually recorded in my home studio. So uh, we're dipping into my own personal wine cellar tonight.
1: Although I feel like it's a 90-10 chance that we're going to meet at this house versus <laughs> anywhere else. So this kind of feels very normal.
0: That's true, yeah. So um, Nikki helped me to design the home that I live in now. And it was a big pain in the fucking ass. But uh, we, got it, we got it accomplished.
1: I kind of feel like there's going to be a common thread with all everything tonight, which <laughs> is going to be what a pain in the ass construction
0: is. Yeah. But you know, so we have a lot of listeners out there that, um, that are either wanting to open a bar or they have opened a bar and like there's I've always find cause we've done this, God, I've done this five or six times now as in some degree, as far as like from conceptualization to opening day. And the biggest pain in the ass is like trying to communicate what I want out, of the end product to realization and you have worked with me obviously on three of those projects. So it's, I, I don't know how that process works. Cause I'm, I know I give a lot of abstracts and a lot of our people that, I, that I'm friends with in the industry are kind of in that same boat. Like we don't know how to verbalize exactly what we want. So how do you distill out like exactly when you're, approach a project? I mean, I, I no, know no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> jumping to the middle, but like when you approach a project, somebody's like, hey, I want to build a bar, I want to build a restaurant, I want to open this thing, this is my dream. Like, what's the first steps to make that happen?
1: Um, before I answer any of that question, I'm just going <laughs> yeah. to say that every designer is different. There is sure. no right and wrong. Uh, there is no this is the approach, black and white. I'm going to speak for the rest of this podcast as me as an individual designer. This is my process. These are my beliefs. That does not mean that if you don't have these thoughts, you're wrong. Or if your designer doesn't ask these questions, they suck. Like, everyone is different when they approach this project because it's as much um, kind of internal solutions as there are true solutions. Like, you know, it's as much an art and it's abstract as it is absolute and real and truthful. So to answer your question, <laughs> the first thing I want to know is how much have you thought about the reality? I usually want a sample of the menu. I want to meet who's behind the the cooker. And if I can, a playlist.
0: Really, a playlist?
1: A playlist. Because I I get a lot of people calling saying, oh, I liked... X restaurant or this cafe or whatever. Can I work with you? And I'll meet with them for 45 minutes to an hour. And if all they have are pictures of other restaurants, then they don't need me. Like they have a vision for the space. They already know, they've got this like, this world created. And I just think you just need to go find someone who can document that for you. What I really like is someone who has this drive or this passion to bring something that they care about to the public. So with Josh and Thunderbird, he was really going through like a craft cocktail thing, but also wanted to take prestige out of it and make it for the people. And he knew, in a sense, kind of like an ideal price point, who his client is, what the vibe is going to be. And then I just need to figure out what does that stage look like for that presentation. When you came to me with Rook, all you knew was like, I love street sandwiches. I want it down and dirty. I want people to come and go. And again, you're not showing me pictures of necessarily like, this is the restaurant I want. You're like, this is the product I want to give. And so I respond really well when someone has something they want to deliver that comes from a personal passion. And then I try to figure out, okay, what's the scenery in which that exchange happens? And I've said a lot that I think of myself more as like a set designer when it comes to hospitality design, because it is, it's theater. I mean, we, the reason we eat out is we want to escape and we want to go into this alternate universe where we're kind of the star of the show. We get to pick whatever we want. Everyone's waiting on us and the chef, the servers, the food, the origin of the menu, that's the story. And I'm trying to communicate the two.
0: That's interesting that you say that because I remember there was an article in the New York Times a couple of years ago, which several of my designer friends absolutely loathed. But I thought it was interesting. Those of us outside of your business found um, it an interesting anyway. But where set designers for theater were actually getting involved in interior design, where they maybe didn't have as much experience for functionality in commercial spaces. But I think it was uh, an article where they had mentioned Floyd Cardo's in New York had opened a place, and they had hired some like big name set designer. And they had gotten involved in that. And, like, it's I, – I can appreciate, as a restaurateur, I can appreciate the the abstract. Like, I – of giving the abstract, like, it's one thing. Like, yeah, we make playlists, and we're like, it's going to be cool. We're going to serve this and serve that. But, like, we don't know what it's going to look like. And, uh, you know, I am a strong believer uh, in the ideal of that, you know, you are a professional in what you do. So, w- I shouldn't tell you how to do your job because I'm not, I'm not an interior designer. No, if
1: you told me what to do, I'd be like, no offense, I'm overcharging you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's something fun about you get a bunch of people who are experts in their fields and they come together like a troop of superheroes and they create this thing and it's only as strong as the weakest link. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as you are super focused on this part of the restaurant, I will match you. It's hard for me when someone comes and they aren't focused on the food. I can't bridge that gap. And if the food is weak, I don't think the project's going to work. And so I walk away because I'm like, I just, I'm not going to name names, but there's four restaurants in the city that have come and gone. And I knew they weren't going to make it because I met with them ahead of time. And I was like, you just don't have a point of view or a passion that people can like latch on to
0: so do you see yourself as part of that project as like helping to define that point of view <clears> or <throat> to focus that point of view no. or they need to have that at, at they need from it the ahead get-go. of time
1: or I can't do my job I'm not there as a collaborator for the restaurant I'm, sure. I'm literally there to hear what you don't know what to ask for and
0: so I, I guess that's what I'm getting at right because like when you don't know the questions to ask um, where do you fill in the spaces
1: I I mean, if you think about our every pre-meeting we have, we rarely talk about the space. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand why Bon Me, you know, why Tiki, why, you know, with Thunderbird, why cocktails? It's um, because at the end of the day, if you aren't vested, it's not going to work. And so I'm just trying to communicate to the person who walks in the door for the first time why you did it and bring you as close together. I worked on a restaurant in Columbus called uh, Henry Social Club, and Chef It's Geth. a very cool spot. Yeah, it's cool. But, you know, all of that, you know, there were design decisions that were made based on budget and existing conditions, mm-hmm. but the majority of the concept was him sitting there telling me about, you know, uh, working on the East Coast and uh, his background in French cuisine and uh, more New England cu- cuisine, and everything just came from those stories. And then I just turn that into like a physical space. And, you know, Gethin's real personable. So there's no table that he can't pony up to and have a 10 minute conversation with people and it not be awkward. Mm -hmm. But that design only came from Gethin expressing who he is as a restaurateur and what he wants the space to be. But he never said, I want to be able to hang out with every patron at every table.
0: So how do you draw that out of somebody in a meeting? I mean, you know, I, you and I've had, I feel like every project that we've done together, it's been, um, it's been different, and we've had a different process every time. So there's no like framework that we can work but off. But don't you of feel like pr- your
1: motivation for each project is different?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's why I feel like every time that we've done it, yeah. it's been it's been entirely different between my home and you know both rooks. We've relocated that, and and you know we I guess Josh primarily did Thunderbird, and you know it's but from project to project to project to project. It's it's interesting, but I mean I was most um, I've known you for uh, about 10 years now, I guess, and you know I've seen your career grow substantially and become uh, a pretty big name in the uh, design industry in Indianapolis. But I wanted to work with you because the, you think about the abstracts a little bit more than I think everybody else. Everybody else is like will listen to like I want. Uh, for example, like you say, okay, I want, uh, I'm thinking about a bar. I don't know. And they say, how many seats do you want at the bar? And I I say, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe 20 seats at the bar. And then what you get back is exactly that you get 20 seats at the bar. It doesn't matter if that didn't work or it did work. So how do you go about the process of determining, like going to a client and saying, okay, your idea kind of (laughs) sucked, you know, you've, (laughs) you've got to revamp this, you know, because I mean, sometimes it is and those realities, are what we depend on because, as a professional in your field, we need somebody to tell us that what we're doing maybe isn't the best for ourselves. Sure. We don't, we don't know what's best for. Our-
1: it, it's it's all maneuvering through the gray. But I will say, if you tell me you need twenty seats, I'm going to assume you've run the numbers and to be profitable, you need twenty butts in mm-hmm. that bar mm-hmm. on a Saturday night. And I won't tell you we need eighteen because you need this design feature. For me. Sure. There are certain things, like I said, we're a team that come together with our experts or with our expertise. And if you say, I need 20 seats, there's no design element that I need that's worth compromising your bottom line. Sure. But, um, you know, I think that if you're going to hire a professional, it's because there is a seed of insecurity in you. And that little sliver, that opening that you open gives me not necessarily the courage, but the responsibility to show you possibilities. And the thing is, is like, if you don't resonate with it, I'm not going to jam it down your throat. My design is not driven by ego. I don't think that there's the Nikki Sutton aesthetic. I, you know, it's got Dick to do with me. But if you tell me you want one thing, and then through all these side stories and tangents and little conversations we've had and me following you on social media and seeing what you post, if that isn't completely congruent I will pitch something else because I think that there is something in you that says I know what I like but I don't know if that's what's right and I have no problem with showing you something and you saying I hate it because I'm pretty sure in 20 minutes you're going to come back and be like (laughs) I love it
0: but (laughs) I'm just saying
1: you know it it, uh, my job is to hear what you're saying and then go two steps farther and show you two, four, and six steps, and then you can design your comfort level or decide which one's in your comfort level. But, I mean, that's the job. The job is hearing what you're not saying, you know? It's not literal. If you came to me and said, I want 50 seats, this is the kind of chair I like, and here's the space, why are you calling me, you know? It's like you need a tea leaf reader. Well,
0: that's interesting that you, you brought up a- the social media aspect of it because, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like working with you is that you don't take it as just a, okay, here's a space and here's what they want and here's what we need to accomplish and we're going to make it, here's what's popular in 2019 uh, or whatnot, is that you actually do kind of pay attention to your client a little bit. Um, well, not a little bit, a a lot, a lot, a lot. (laughs) Well, I mean, like it's surprisingly so like, I mean, with me it has been because it's, I look, I take a step back and I, you, you you remember posts that I don't remember, and um, that's a very modern way of thinking about things. I think you know a lot of the designers that I've encountered in the last ten years um, that are older than you, and and you're approximately the same age as I am, a little bit younger. But you know, we're a different generation of thinking. We have to we, we had to recalibrate the way we do things, and we're always constantly having to recalibrate things in restaurants and bars and how we serve a customer in a bar or a restaurant. And I mean you're one of the few designers that I know personally that has been able to kind of recalibrate the way you think about spaces. I remember uh you mentioned um when we were doing a project like I want to make this place Instagram worthy. Um and so to think about that like how do you when again like I hate to like hammer down this point but when you're looking at the project as a whole there's like a lot of pieces to go into it like you have functionality, you have efficiency, you've got you know what the client's asking for but you've also like how's it going to appear on social media and like how that comes together as a whole. That's a hell of a trick to pull off.
1: It is, but there's a few things that all humanity loves of all time forever. We will always respond to a human interest story. Like if we can look into a person, so like if you walk into a space and you can see a distinct point of view Like, if that space has a a unique cohesion that is foreign to you, you will automatically be interested. I also believe that humans hate spaces that don't have an element that looks handmade. There has to be Mm. something in a space that says human hands were here. I hate overly slick interiors. I hate when everything is relied on prefabricated materials because I don't think we as people... In a primal way, I don't think we can connect. I like when there is something that is messy or wrong or handmade that says people built this space. I know it sounds a little out there and kind of cuckoo, but I firmly believe it in every space I do. I introduce, I call it the messy element, the human element. You got to have it. It's like an entry point for people to like put their guard down because it's not so slick. Mm Because none of us are slick. We're all a mess. Sure. And we love the mess. And then I think the third part of it is lighting. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, actually, um, somebody asked me for your phone number the other day, but re- specifically regarding lighting. Um, lighting is super important, but when you talk about the mess, so it, it made me think of some projects we've talked about in the past. And, and I definitely I, um, have paid more attention to design trends over the last decade than I think I had pri- prior to that. When I was working for Buffalo Wild Wings for a, a decade, <laughs> and, like we didn't think much about design back in those days. But... Um, there's definitely trends that I've seen, you know, like, I mean, you know, fuck, seven years ago, everybody had lath and it was all like, you know, everything was like this repurposed barnwood. Like, sure. goddamn, if I fucking heard barnwood one more time.
1: If I still hear barnwood.
0: <laughs> right. So, I mean, how do you stay ahead <clears throat> of that? I mean, do you still have people coming to you with, like, oh, we saw this thing X, Y, and Z and we thought it was pretty fucking cool? Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: you know,
0: I wish people could see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, I I I am the worst person to ask this question. I don't subscribe to a single design magazine. I don't read blogs. Really, I, I don't, not one. I don't. Um, I I'm really. I'm very susceptible to like strong influence, borderline plagiarism, I think. And I see something that I love and I respond to in a picture, and I know that's a lie. I've been a part of architectural photography for a long time. It's real easy to make something look more awesome than it is. And to be in a grand space is very different than looking at it in a photo. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no alignment. So I just, I remove myself from it because I think it's dangerous inspiration. My clients, the people I talk to, the investors, the chef, that's enough inspiration for me to try to figure out what to do because my the reality of my world is my bowling lane has high and mighty bumpers they're usually you know the capability that's the
0: strangest but you know what i mean you know what i'm talking about is
1: you're like you can do whatever you want but i only have this amount of money i'm going into this space the construction crew is based out of indianapolis And I have to have it done in three months. Always. So the thing is, is like, yeah, I can look at every fucking magazine from all over the world. But what good is it going to do me? Mm -hmm. I've got this guy's friend's uncle who's going to build the space. (laughs) And they got thirty five grand after the kitchen's built. Like I have to somehow not make that the crux. That's just the project or not the crutch. It's the project. And like when I look at other things, I would feel stuck. But I don't see those things as limitations because I'm not comparing ideas that are apples and live cows. Like it's just
0: sure. night and day. Well, it's a lot like, I mean, I it's completely different, but it's very similar, I think, into like looking at wine magazines. You know, I love looking through Wine Spectator and Wine Enthusiast, but you look at your like, oh, look at these, all these amazing wines that none of which I can actually get in Indiana. So why do I care what was rated, you know, at 92 points because I can't get it here. So, yeah, I guess it is. Well, I, I understand what you're saying. And as if far you call it
1: a trend and it's published in a magazine, it's already done.
0: Is it, is it already done? Oh,
1: yeah. Because, you know, fashion goes first. So first someone cool does it. Then someone in fashion spots it, exploits it. And then somehow interior finishes and furniture design catch on later. So we're already eight years behind schedule by the time it shows up in Dwell. It's, you know, it's just it doesn't make any sense to pay attention to trends unless you're going to hang out in like some college town and look at what kids are wearing like it just you can't get ahead of it besides i i don't think i honestly don't believe the things that respond to trends are there forever and like i want my clients things to be forever because their passions are forever the chatterbox hasn't been on mass ave despite all the development around it.
0: We've had Dave on the show. We did uh, dive bars and jazz clubs with Dave Anderchick. That That's, place that lives
1: because that guy loves a cheap-ass glass of wine
0: <laughs> he does and a jazz it. band. I love Dave and Dave. I'm sorry, David. He doesn't go by Dave. No, but I, I said on the episode. Um, <laughs>
1: Mr. Anderchick.
0: Mr. Anderchick. was the, that was the first bar I ever drank at. I was seven. Me too. I was really? You're kidding me. Really? Yeah. I was 17 years old I rolled in. I didn't look that much different. I didn't have the gray, but my voice wasn't that dissimilar. <laughs> I guess
1: I should say that was my first regular bar. I'm not sure what the first I
0: rolled in as a as the beginning of my senior year in high school, I believe. And uh, sat down at the bar and was nervous as all fuck. And but it was everything that I that I thought a bar should look like and, yeah. I, and I said that on that episode like <laughs> There there is no real design. I mean it's it's a working man's bar. It's exactly what I thought it was a bar should look like from watching television as a 17-year-old, you know. I mean coming out of like the cheers era, you yeah, know. Right. Like this is exactly what a bar is supposed to be. And I and yeah, I I love David Ford and I love that he's still around. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's you know, there's live net, live jazz 7 nights a week. And,
1: good jazz.
0: Yeah, good stuff. I mean Cuz like, he God. still
1: pays attention. I mean, he supports every art in the city but that bar has nothing to do with of the moment trends no pandering it is that guy wanted to get out of architecture run this bar he loved jazz he loved people and it's been the same thing for decades and it never goes away it's that kind of thing where my job isn't necessarily to get you published. My job is for you to effectively communicate your passion to someone who doesn't know it yet when they walk in the door.
0: So how do you I don't know how to phrase this question, but like when you're helping somebody create a space and like kind of distill all of the important parts of the concept in a bar or a restaurant and create a timeless space, how do you do that and, and avoid it the the seemingly Kind of contrived nature that you could end up with at the uh, at the end of the rope, like and like you said, it seems very manufactured when it's too contrived, um, a.k.a. Vegas. Like I mean, I when you say that, I, I just think of like all the cool big name marquee bars in in Vegas, not like the cool spots like Herbs and Rye or Velveteen Rabbit or anything, but like the like the strip bars that are just trying to like do tons and tons and tons and tons of volume, like you can tell like everything's just like machine cut it was laid. it was like done they're like all right we have 60 days to finish this we're opening right. we already have reservations for the booths like how do you avoid that contrived nature when you're like aiming for timelessness
1: uh, <laughs> i don't know if i do um and you know every project that answer is different Because I feel like some spaces do look like the year that they were built. Mm -hmm. And then other spaces may have a little bit more timelessness to it. Some spaces are very much driven by one very specific concept that I picked up on through the process. It's different every single time. I don't know. So
0: knowing how where your friends are in the in the Midwest, I have to ask this question because I've got an answer. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> <Just say it. laughs> no, um, I've got an answer for myself, oh. but like when, when places do get kind of, you said like they get tied into that time and place. Um, sometimes that's a really cool selling point 30, 40 years down the road, right? Like the chatterbox right. is great because yeah. it it feels like, Hey man, it's a dive bar from the eighties. It has not changed whatsoever. I mean, Tiki T in LA kind of same vibe, right? So, like, do you have a favorite spot that has like remained relatively unchanged through the years that it's still like super fucking cool? Like, you go there for that reason because it's kind of evokes that vibe. That
1: I've designed, or that in just in general. No, 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 in
0: general, in general.
1: general. Oh gosh, you may have to edit out this pause.
0: (laughs) Well, the reason I asked that is because my favorite spot uh, is in Milwaukee. Have you ever been to Bryant's Cocktail Lounge? Maybe it's fucking amazing. You would remember if you'd been there. So Bryant's is, I think, it's that what Pink Squirrels, the home of the pink squirrel. But uh, regardless, the place was one of the first oh, bars in an Milwaukee answer. that opened after Prohibition. But it, it like caught on fire in the seventies, and they rebuilt it with all the cool new tech from like the early seventies. And it's remained completely unchanged since then. So they have like the cool like Formica bar top and like the bumper, and they have the Macintosh stereo system still laid in the bar. They have the aquariums back behind the bar. Do you know
1: what neighborhood this is in?
0: I have no it's fucking not idea. Babying. I don't. I don't know Milwaukee that well, but uh, I, it's a fantastic place. I love the place, and it is like stepping back into a time machine. God
1: damn it! And I Just got maybe got you Just got back might. from Milwaukee yesterday. Yeah. Oh,
0: you should have told me. I would well, have. I'll
1: be there in two months.
0: Well, yeah. It's not like there's I'll a, a shortage it. of cool bars in Milwaukee.
1: No. I I do have one, and it is it is the epitome of what I've been trying to say. Is uh, Nick and I were in Madrid a couple years ago, a few years ago? God, it was probably five years ago. Who knows? <laughs> we're in Madrid, and
0: we're two bottles in now. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> if, if you're if you're taking count.
1: By the way, listeners, you have to pick up a bottle. Whatever we're drinking right <laughs> yeah. now, it's delicious. Um, this uh, we'd been to several kind of large flashy looking bars and we were about to call it a night and we walked down this alleyway and it kind of almost looked like some guy's living room and we walk in there and there's like a tiny little marble bar that obviously was in a different location that they just plunked in the middle and a bunch of mismatch living room appropriate furniture but very French looking and nothing matched and everything was a little too fussy and overdone. And we, start, and we look, and it's an American cocktail list, which we hadn't seen yet in Madrid. It was like old fashions. And so we get there, and we're talking to the guy that owns the place, and we find out the story that his wife, who is now deceased, was an antique collector, and they just had a warehouse full of this shit. He came upon this space threw some furniture in there, started drinking, friend came by, drank with him, friend came by, and it grew into this bar, and he started charging people to come drink in this storefront space with all this old furniture, and like, it was the best bar I've ever been to, <laughs> and everyone's just in there playing card games, chilling, smoking, whatever, and I told Nick, I was like, I, I- can't tell you how many times I go to garage sales and I want to buy random furniture we just need to store it for 10 years and then when my arthritis is bad we'll just put them (laughs) in a random storefront and we will like, have a bar. That'll be
0: your job, man.
1: Yeah. And then I think I came back I and told dis- you this and you were like, don't do this. <laughs> I
0: was, yeah, I was going to say, I was getting ready to repeat myself. Like, I, I cannot dissuade you enough. Do not open a bar. <laughs>
1: I do believe it was you who were like, leave it at Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> don't do this. But I loved that bar. And we went back three times while we were there because it just, again, it's that person. And I'm paying to Experience that person's passion, and it's such a human connection. And it's like if I'm going to pay fifteen dollars for a beverage that's probably killing me, I just want to be closer to humans. And it was so great. I love that bar.
0: Well, that so, and the last five minutes of conversation have essentially unsold your industry. But uh, (laughs) we've well, uh,
1: and that's why I don't say that. Like, right, I'm magic. You're not no be
0: all end all, right? Because I. I think about all of the, my favorite bar experiences as I've, as I've traveled, and very often they have been in undesigned spaces, like where, like you just said, they came together organically. You can tell the guy that just was a guitarist, and he came across a space in Sicily. Uh, yes, I'm talking about you, Um <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I love that place, and it, they're, they're fun places to hang out, but on the other side of that coin, I also love to go to, like, Amore Amargo in New York, or Death & Company. I was just there a couple of weeks ago, um... Got a chance to actually um, sit in on the speakeasy. So, um, shout out to Souther and, and Damon there. But um, it's it's kind of a push pull. And I know where my weaknesses are as, as a restaurateur. I, I have no grand vision, this is not my expertise. So, uh, like, like I said at the beginning of the show, I, I kind of defer to professionals in all walks of life, you know. I'm not going to walk into a winemaker and tell them how they should be making their wine because it's how I like to drink it because perhaps I don't know the best, you know? So that's why, as I mean, you and I were friends first, I think, you know, before we ever did a project together. So, like, that's why I ended up, you know, trusting you and and the way you think about things. I saw
1: your back of tattoos before you ever saw uh, the proposal. You did, (laughs)
0: that's right. (laughs) But you have done some very fucking unorthodox um ways of like proposing projects to me. So I'm just curious as to like how many other of your clients have seen some pretty unorthodox proposals where they're like, who the hell is this woman walking into the room with this like (laughs) crazy 3d model? Like I, I say that because for our listeners out there, like one of my restaurants got pitched with this like crazy 3d cardboard model with like ink drawings of wallpaper on the sides and posters and things and I think it took me all of like thirty seconds to uh, to approve that design, <laughs> and you were like, "I spent all fucking night building this." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I I think you took pity on me because I built that model after three days of sobbing, trying to figure out what Rook was going to look like because I just <laughs> couldn't figure it out. And then you sent me that Tom Waits clip, and I was like, "Got it,
0: man." So I still on this. This is total inside baseball here, but so. Uh, one of my restaurants uh, that i partners with Carlos Salazar are on, we, we we've since relocated. Our original space was a shotgun space, but we wanted to do like the wheat paste posters in the in the front, but we wanted it to tie to the neighborhood, so we created false posters, concert posters
1: based of, on actual music venues that existed in Fountain Square before gentrification.
0: Right. Yeah. All these things that happened like during the '60s, '70s, '80s, and so um, we. Created these fake wheat paste posters and kind of just plastered the whole place with it. But I saved some. I found them last night. Oh, I found really? I found one of each, and uh, the Tom Waits one is the the coolest one to me because it was uh, at an old school bar called Thunderbird from the seventies, sixties uh, and seventies. But like we actually now own that building. And oh my god! We, and we call and we 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 once we found out that it was called Thunderbird in the past, Joshua Gonzalez and I we. Sat and Josh was like we we need to call it Thunderbird because that's it. But the like, Tom
1: Waits poster says, says Thunderbird. Thunderbird. Yes. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it
0: was a little bit, bit of uh, oppression, I think, at the time because we didn't at that time own that building, nor did we know that that was where Thunderbird actually was. That's
1: hilarious. Um,
0: we just happened to coincidentally come into uh, open a place for that, and and then we renamed it Thunderbird because we felt that you know it we owed it to the neighborhood, but. It, it was kind of cool that we... Well, I do have a poster that says Tom Waits played with Thunderbird. but That's great. Obviously, he never did. But please uh, send me a cease and desist because it would be amazing to have a, <laughs> a hand-signed Tom Waits letter of... It says, yeah,
1: Tom, send it. Shut
0: the fuck up.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. I had no idea. That poster, we had one because I was trying to figure out how to paste them up. Mm-hmm. And I was making my own wheat paste concoctions. And so Nick's old wood studio has one of them in the bathroom. And when he moved, I was like, that's my only Tom Waits poster. Can we like chisel it off the wall? But unfortunately, I made a, I made a killer paste. Well,
0: so that's a, another good point, though, because of all the projects I've worked with you on, I've seen you in the space doing work. Yep. I don't see just the crew coming in. No. You, you have... Every
1: project you can name downtown, I did something by hand from Homespun and Pairings and Thunderbird and Rook, the... Yeah.
0: How common is that for other designers? I mean, like, I don't you think just that's common at all.
1: No? <laughs> I don't think that larger businesses under their uh, insurance umbrella would let their employees. Like, I think we were all maybe drinking at Thunderbird when I hung all the lights and the rope on the <laughs> south side of the wall. And I'm up on this scaffolding, and Josh is making cocktails. Oh, that's and, a great
0: idea. Yeah, get on scaffolding when you're drinking.
1: You know, it's a Thunderbird. <laughs> As my dad put it, that was a really rough bar. It
0: was a rough bar. My dad grew up in that same neighborhood, and uh, and as we were opening that bar, and and again, I'm I'm a silent partner there, but I you know I was a little bit more present during the build out, and we had a lot of the uh, kind of old timers stopping into the place, like yeah, you're reopening on Thunderbird. This is great. I used to come into this place and. Blah, 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 we used to have to carry a knife into this place, or, you know, like...
1: As my dad put it, I wouldn't go in this place. Yeah, my
0: dad said he was never allowed to go anywhere near it when he was a kid walking the streets in that neighborhood. They made him, his mom and dad asked him to walk on the other side of the street so he wouldn't go anywhere near Thunderbird. And well, was,
1: uh, you, there aren't a lot of people, a lot of designers. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I told you earlier, I'm not friends with a lot of interior designers, but I... I now do. I know why we get along. We're
0: both the recluses. We're yeah, like, right. If we're off work, just, like, don't talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I th- feel like everyone else has a more interesting job than me, and I just...
0: But I disagree with that, because what you do um, is... Uh, it's definitely an unappreciated art or an underappreciated art, right? Because when you come into our restaurants, we get the credit for it, right? Like we get the credit for, well, these are beautiful tables. This is a beautiful space. I love the lighting in here. Or maybe it's even not noticed at all. Like the, the lighting, I guess, shouldn't really be noticed, right? I'm
1: calling bullshit because I will, the people that I work for are so kind and they always mention me. I don't feel like I don't get credit for what I do because you always say my name. Gethin says my name. (laughs) Well, we try. We try to do
0: that, but like I think for the average consumer, it's it's not a thought that their interior designers exist, right? Like so, when we when I started the process of building a home, like I mean, every time we talked to a builder, they were just like, "Oh no, we don't do designers. We just kind of do our own thing." And me having worked with designers numerous times in the past, well, designers, you. with restaurants, I mean, we already knew that that was an important component in in the process, and it's even more so important, I think, in a bar and a restaurant. And you mentioned it at the top of the hour, and I want you to talk a little bit more about it, like how important lighting is to any business. I I know you do other commercial stuff, like so. I should clarify, you don't only do bars and restaurants. Um, you've also done like office spaces and all that. But I think okay. you once told me that, like. Uh, you don't make shit for money when you're doing bars and restaurants, but it's great advertising for your commercial work absolutely <laughs> yeah, like
1: and it's fun you know it's it's theater it's a blast and be, no restaurant look should look like the other restaurant and um whereas if you're building a new office, another place for salesforce or whatever there is like some repetitiveness to it, whereas a restaurant is a brand new formula and problem. But uh, no, I don't only do restaurant. In fact, I, I don't even tout myself as X kind of designer because, you know, I did your house. I've done dental practices. It's kind of all over the board. The only. Consistent thing. I about. want to
0: see you do a dental practice. Like after all we've. Oh my gone god! Through, I've done
1: like eight. But
0: I mean after the last forty minutes of talking, right? <laughs> and we're like, I want to know what the space is like and the personality. Like, I want to see you sit down with a dentist and be like, "All right, now what are you into? What's your vibe here?" It's What's it gonna exactly
1: be? <laughs> the same. You are kidding me? No, because come on, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> fucking with you. So I have had um, a lot of them are newer. The field, like they just graduated and they have a vision for their their independent practice. But, but no, no, no. But know, hold on, I, I hold don't on.
0: mean to laugh. I don't yeah. mean to laugh. But like
1: specifically, <laughs> there are dentists who are really into the technology, so okay. we make that okay front and center. Then there that. are others who want it to be more spa-like and holistic. All right. And then there are people who are like, we want this to be family-friendly, kid-friendly. So if you can imagine, okay. those are different practices. I
0: shouldn't be an ass about that because no, that's my ignorance. No, it is my ignorance to like somebody else because like <laughs> the other people might look at us and be like whatever you douchebag it's a restaurant you're serving us food and i'm thinking like overpriced it's, booze well that's right right yeah <laughs> overpriced booze and overpriced food and i'm thinking like well you're drilling into teeth how what's the concept here? right right but you're right i guess there are practices that cater towards you know kids or and my dentist is definitely into tech he's like yeah. he's got all the cool new toys in fact he owns a bunch of oxygen bars in indianapolis Um, Yeah, I know. I think he makes more money on the oxygen bars than he does like drilling into my teeth, but you
1: don't go to the place down in that really awful building the Bellagio.
0: No, 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 no. no. That would be next. Spoiler alert.
1: The Bellagio sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Nikki's never getting a job at the Bellagio.
1: (laughs) Actually, I was supposed to design that practice and it didn't work out, but yet they're still my dentist. (laughs) Really? Don't tell him that then. Oh, I don't care.
0: So that, but it is interesting that you draw all these things out from people because you've been able to pull things out of me that I didn't know about myself. Especially with rook, I think that was like the pinnacle of all. The original rook was it was the most flattering thing I think that anybody and I I know I've told you this several times and again we're we're inside baseball now so now we're just recording a conversation between friends. <laughs> you know, but the most flattering thing that anybody's ever said about me, you did an interview sometime one time and said that like with rook i tried to take ed's personality and turn it into a physical space and i was like that's fucking awesome man like
1: well it was the only thing driving the restaurant is you'd had some banh mi's from like a truck in new york and you were like i have this vision for this thing and you know what your vision was nothing
0: like, <laughs> yeah, you right. didn't know no not at all and that's why i was relying on you because we had we had a relationship and i wanted to figure out how we accomplished like Street food sandwiches in a space that sucked. I, I mean, really I didn't say it sucked, but it was small. It was small, narrow. It was shocking. It was actually a very New York kind of space.
1: It, tall bumpers.
0: Yeah, tall very bumpers. Very tall bumpers. You know, for New York, it would have been a giant space. And that's why when all the cooks that we ever had that worked there that complained about the size of the space. I'm like, man, we've got about 400 square feet more than you would ever have in New yeah. York City. So stop bitching about it. You know,
1: You could pass by someone when they were in the line.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it
1: was fine. It, you know, it, my job, every once in a while, someone comes along and I hate my job. Usually a builder. <laughs> no names named. But, you know, there is this, like, exploratory part in the beginning that I always find really exciting. And um, I have never, to this day, had anyone be more vague with a concept than Rook. And had we, was Rook after, Rook was before Thunderbird. Is that the first project we did? It was
0: the first project we did together. Okay,
1: so you had already had Siam and you'd already had Black Market, but we hadn't worked together. Correct. And you come to me with Rook, and I was very familiar with the people who owned the building. So I knew the space forward and backwards because I was a part of the Mm -hmm. design of the building. That's right, you designed
0: all the apartments and all that in the mixed-use building. That's right, I forgot about that.
1: And you were going to take this real weird space in the middle which I still believe it would have succeeded had that fucking bus stop not been built. Uh, That's real inside baseball. But you had no concept for the space. You just knew what you wanted to serve. And so that was, I feel like if interior design is an art, that was the most art I've ever done. Was, really? Oh yeah. I mean, That's
0: flattering. I mean, like, I, I,
1: I, no. It was a blast. It was a blast. That we did it, have a
0: lot of fun there. I mean, wh- I'm sitting here in my basement. In our, I'm sorry, in my home studio. Uh, <laughs> but I have the the art that we had on the wall there. Yeah. It was a 40 foot mural. It's hanging right next to us. The original painting by uh, an Indianapolis artist named Justin Cooper that did a giant Japanese piece. for us sitting right next to us.
1: Well, and you know why you're holding on to that? It's the handmade element.
0: It. Uh, Oh.
1: I'm telling you. Well, the telephone poles were kind of handmade too, but they were
0: Okay, so okay, let's 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 get into that. And I know this is gets into very much in my my personal history, but like this is a that was a dramatic element, right? So mm-hmm. like when you're attacking a space and I've seen you do this over and over and over and over and over again in different projects that you're not just coming in and saying, "Okay, here's the banquettes that you need um for our non-industry listeners. Those are booths but only on one side." Um our banquettes or our tables, or chairs, or the, the the cloth that goes, you know, on the walls or whatnot. It's none of those things. So <laughs> this handmade element. I'm like, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around um, how you bring that into a space that is so small and needs it and is calling for. I don't know. I mean, I I don't even know how to phrase my question, honestly. Well,
1: and it's. It's because it's complicated. No, we're both just looking well, no, no, no. It, it's, it's complicated because I'm I'm on the other side of the fence. So, yes, I'm looking for the handmade element, but that handmade element, what it is and where it goes is because I've divvied up your budget. So, mm-hmm. there's X amount for furniture right, okay. for, you know, you've got to make the walls something, you got to light it sure. blah, blah blah. And so when I looked at my budget, the only thing I have wiggle room is the light package. Right. And so yeah, I could run a bunch of pendants down there, but who fucking cares? It's a run of pendants. So my lighting needs to be the thing. It's gotta be the thing. But you went
0: beyond the thing, right? Like, so like, that's what we were talking about is like kind of going back into that. Like you, we, we, <laughs> it's hard to describe for anybody that wasn't in the space, but like we destroyed the fucking drywall and we crashed Power lines into the space they were not real power lines. It's important to note because we bought real power poles. Yes, and they stunk of uh, uh, Of carousel. Well,
1: no, no, no. We bought actual ones first, <laughs> right? That's what and I mean, then they reeked so bad yeah, so then we the, bought we to get newer ones that weren't were not treated fresh. and then treated them with a Oxidizing treatment for months in the right. studio to make them look old
0: and but so we yeah We freaked everybody out because they they paid all this money to put the drywall up and then Nikki tore the fuck out of it by crashing poles through it and ripping the drywall up and everybody thought we were insane but those aspects i i know that you know me and so that you would be okay with um proposing something like that to me i think that was the part of the 3d model but like when you go to a a dental client right so like you've got a fucking dentist and you're like hey man we're gonna crash some poles but see
1: (laughs) the telephone poles didn't come from the fact that it was like I, it always bugged me when people said oh you've recreated like a street scene in saigon or whatever and i'm like well okay if that's how you see it, fine. You know, it's art. It's an installation piece. Todd has always said that place will never be without those telephone poles. He considers it a permanent feature.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. The, yeah. the building owner is going to leave them there permanently. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. I haven't he been left- in that. I haven't been there since we've abandoned the space and moved to our bigger location.
1: He considers I it an in. installation to the building, and it doesn't go anywhere.
0: That's awesome.
1: But for me, you know, people think that the fact that it's street food is why we relied so heavily on a street element, but. You and I both come from like, you know, as rebellious as you could be on the south side of Indy, <laughs> but something of like a punk rock metal counterculture. And you know, Fountain Square, I grew up uh, in Garfield Park, and I, my parents took me to the girls club in Fountain Square. And granted, this is technically Fletcher place, but still Fountain Square. And
0: Ooh! Now, now all my nasty emails are going to start arriving in the inbox. <laughs> Boy, don't confuse the neighborhoods. Sorry for those seven
1: emails. Um, but this <laughs> sorry, <laughs> keeping it humble. Be humble. <laughs> this uh, this cultural trail, this new construction goes through in this big fancy storefront building in the middle of you know what has historically always been kind of a blue collar neighborhood. <clears throat> and it just seemed like it, it couldn't have been more of a 180 what, from what was already there. And so for me, those telephone poles were kind of middle fingers to the new sexy uh, lights that they had put in that were just like the mm-hmm. single columns and, you know, no old school telephone light or uh, street lights. Everything was new and slick and modern. And that's not. neighborhood and that's not why you started in fountain square and you know there is something about that older neighborhood that we always gravitate towards and when something succeeds there you kind of double win because you get to be a part of the old and the new and so for me those telephone poles were really like the old neighborhood literally crashing through reminding you of where you are but everyone thought it had to do with the street food. And I was like, well, really, it was the neighborhood rebelling against this building because we're going to do cheap sandwiches, carry out, nothing pretentious, just good food for good people. So, you know.
0: Man, I didn't realize we were that fucking cool back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't know all that shit, man. Well, why I mean, why did we are, move? <laughs> we shouldn't have moved. I, I, although when a, we moved, I do uh, to, to call back to an earlier train of thought, I do remember when we moved, uh, we were in that location what, about two and a half, three years. And I, well, about three, two and a half years, I guess, because we're about to celebrate six years this summer. Um, I did, I do remember sitting down to a meeting and you said, What are we thinking? And I said, I don't want to see any fucking barnwood. I don't want to see anything reclaimed. I don't want to see any repurposed in anything like a, a more sleek, like just, because those things had kind of died a little bit. And sure. I think it became cliche by that point of like the, this quote, like speakeasy style, and we talked a little bit about that on a previous episode with Jim Meehan, at, at um, the uh, you know uh, owner of PDT in New York, where like he kind of accidentally created this whole speakeasy style with like you know I mean, he didn't really create it. I mean, it was it was around and other people had been doing it, but um, I guess that's where like PDT most popularly had that kind of vibe with the phone booth, like going through Crypt Dog, and so. I think (laughs) I, I don't know, when we moved I wanted to like rebel against all that, man. Sure. And but it's still the same neighborhood, though. Like it's the same neighborhood you're talking about rebelling against, right? Like we're like we're crashing shit down, but yeah. Like, but so like, how do you how how do you deal with the, that change of gentrification? And this I guess uh, somewhat ties into last, uh, well, I guess a month ago's episode with uh, Michael Huber. When we talked about gentrification and economic development through restaurants and bars, but like I mean, you you're largely part of that, but like at your core, you're still kind of you know you're trying to retain the the essence of that neighborhood.
1: Well. I mean I just drew inspiration from it. I mean there's no just because there's a an all white stark restaurant with some telephone poles and God damn,
0: don't get me started on that fucking white walls. Dude. Yeah, we have so many complaints about those white walls. We were
1: ahead of our time. We were now everyone's like paint it white and I'm like, fuck you.
0: All the complaints were like, it just looks like it's a boring conference space. I'm like, no, it's minimal. It's just like, whatever. Okay.
1: Look at your food. Your food is the color. Your food is the beauty. Quit fucking looking at this wall. Look out the window. But whatever. (laughs) Um, I I don't think that the presence of this element honors the neighborhood truly. It's just, you know, I have to come up with something. Mm -hmm. And that's where it came from. And between you know, this, it, it was just homage was kind of the inspiration. And that homage came from our stories. But I do want to circle back real quick about that Barnwood shit, because <laughs> I, I, there is a reason that that aesthetic came around. And it was because no one had any fucking money at the time. And so in defense of two of my previous clients, Thunderbird and Speakeasy <laughs> One. Like,
0: I was like, oh, it was a client, but... But and I'm not going to shit on that because yeah. Well, you uh, can't shit on it because if you don't
1: have the money, you got to get the free shit.
0: But see, I don't even think it was of that, you know. So I'm (laughs) now I'm contradicting myself, but you know, at that time that when we opened these places, that was pretty edgy. Like I mean, there was nobody really doing those things, right? Like I mean, craft cocktails. um, And I've said on the show numerous times before. I feel like Indianapolis was pretty much on that cutting edge of craft cocktails, and you know, we weren't New York. We weren't milk and honey and, and and those joints, but you know we it was just a few years thereafter. You know, I mean, some of our badass craft cocktail bars opened in 08, 09, You know, and that was pretty early as far as like when you look at the craft cocktail wave. So, you know, when we look at some of those places, I know that we took inspiration at Thunderbird from like uh, a lot of bars in Louisville. You know, in um, bourbon bars and 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 even visitor centers and in, in bourbon country. So. But anyhow, that's that. That's my defense of Thunderbird. But but yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah, there was a a lot going around and we are in the Midwest. There is literal barn wood available. Yeah, we still have a beam hanging over Black Market's bar. Like even though we don't have a lot of reclaimed wood and things like that, it's very sleek and black. There's still one big giant ass barn beam hanging over the bar that that suspends all the lights.
1: Yeah, I, I have a story behind every stitch of wood in Thunderbird. And it's all because someone we knew had it. And, you know, there was only so much money to spend on interior elements. Mm -hmm. There was no money for booths. But Nick said, you know, if we take oak and make it quarter inch thick and then we just paint it, we can afford it. But, you know, um, what is it, Fort Ben. Fort Ben called Nick and said, oh, we're ripping out a bunch of maple. You want it? Nick's like, do I want it? And I was like, Thunderbird needs something to protect the walls because we've got booths against the wall. Get that maple and we'll just slap it up on the walls. And then Kip's like... I have to move out of my space at Send because Send is closing. I've got these beams. You want these beams? I was like, boom, we're building the bar top out of these free beams.
0: And it was all just like. That bar top's beautiful, by the way. It
1: is. Thank you, Kip, for everything. So
0: speaking of Kip, so he did a big art installation of uh, a piano that he had played as a child as one of the centerpieces of Thunderbird. And again, I'm a silent partner there. But, uh, you know, that speaks to a question that I have had. I guess since the beginning since we sat down here tonight is that a lot of designers that I've met don't really kind of plug into the local art culture and uh, do you see that as like an edge you know where like you're able to like bring in like a team that's not necessarily like part of your core team like you're not working as part of a corporation but like at Thunderbird you were able to bring in Kip like Kip wasn't somebody that we said hey reach out to this artist we want him to do something at our bar yeah but he did this amazing installation with like a player piano and like the keys i was always really flattered by the fact that he put the wings of the thunderbird like the keys are from his piano that he learned how to play piano on as a child and Kip's, like what over 50 now you know like that was that was really flattering that he would donate something like that to us yeah. you know
1: well, it helps that he's a hoarder and has just it does help a that bunch he's of a, stuff. It does help but, that he's a hoarder.
0: But, I mean, as a designer, like, I don't see a lot of other designers out there kind of, like, plugging in and really, like, digging into the ground and saying, I want to keep a pulse on the art community here.
1: Sure. Well, and I know my limitations and what I'm capable of doing. In that space, I hung the rope and the light fixtures. Nick built all the wood elements Kip did the art piece. I know how to say me hanging these lights is not enough for this to be fantastic. I need some other superheroes to come in and like spruce this up. But the way I made those decisions along with the Greg the Mayor photography is that's the history of Fountain Square. I mean, the Thunderbird, the concept was we love the the fact that it was an old bar. We're going to make a new bar. We love the fact that we have these old pictures of bands that used to play at the original Thunderbird. We're going to hang them. Well, if we're going to hang pictures of old bands, we should time warp and have some new contemporary photography. So Greg the Mayor's photos from shows in Fountain Square. And then Kip is like a permanent feature of Fountain Square for the last 25 years. If anyone was going to kind of bridge the two, it would be that narrator. So, I mean, I based the design on like a church design. So there's like the altar. And then when you are in a church. There's the opposite the altar. So Josh is at the altar, and then Kip did the musical background at the other half. And you have the pews, and I mean the whole thing's just based on, you know, it's church.
0: I never heard any of this. This is but I, like, no, no, no. This is just I want to like hear process. these pitches. I know, but I want to hear this. This is amazing because, like, <laughs> when I go to that bar and I sit and have a drink. With Josh sitting at the or standing at the bar, I don't think about like okay, the quote organ is across from me, and the notice pews that it's all white, right? Yeah, at I've, the front of the bar. None of these things have like really.
1: But see, I feel like if I have to explain it, then right, it's not yeah, working. Yeah. So it should just work when you walk it's in, subconscious, right? But it's how I make decisions. Is I have to come up with a concept. So I talk to Josh, I hear about the history, I have to make up a narrative, and then that's how something is right or wrong is if it falls into the narrative. And so, yeah, that's just it.
0: <laughs> so as we wrap up, I mean, like people out there that are like, I, I, I know we have non-industry listeners out there, and I'm sorry if we've bored you to death in the last hour or so, but like for the our industry listeners, um, you know, when they're making that decision whether or not they can afford a designer or not, like, is do, I think it's worth it personally, because I know that I you come up with things you kind of draw things out of me that I didn't know were there. Right. Yeah. Like it's like going to a psychologist, right? Like, you know, yeah. like, Oh shit. Yeah. There's some underlying thing that I didn't know was there. And yeah, you're totally right. But I didn't know it was, I didn't recognize that at the time. Um, like how, what process do you, I mean, do you recommend somebody that's kind of starting out and I, you just mentioned, uh, kind of limited budgets or the one <laughs> which you say the, uh, the bumpers, the bumpers, <laughs> the bumpers. Yeah. um, you know, how does someone kind of find that right person to work with?
1: This is not doing me any services, but <laughs> I don't think a designer is 100 percent necessary yeah? in every scenario. I don't. I do think what is necessary, if anyone's thinking of opening a space and they don't own the building, talk to three people who have opened restaurants and rented space and make sure your <laughs> lease is fair. That is my number one because I feel like every restaurant I second
0: that. <laughs> that doesn't make
1: it, it's because they got hosed in their lease. Really understand your overhead. Then decide, do you have petty money mm-hmm. like, to play with to hire a designer? And if you can't afford a designer for the whole thing, a few hours to look over your floor plan and see if there's chemistry during that floor plan review. Um, I do think it is a luxury to have a designer to come and, basically just like manifest an ego and a vision into a physical space.
0: See, that's funny that you say that because (laughs) like, you're the one that should be selling this to me and I'm on the opposite side. I'm the one that should be saying what you're saying. But as I've done this several times now, I don't see it as a luxury any longer. I I feel that it is a necessity because I'm not a designer. Like, I mean, Um, I I, I have a kind of a general concept. No, 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 no. You
1: did Siam Square.
0: We did, but like that was right, complete out of necessity, right like we took we took bare bones that already existed, though, if, if we had gone into a completely bare bone space that had nothing there, I think we would have struggled a little bit,
1: yeah, um, but you know how much you would learn, and then when you hired a designer the second time, you would know what you need all I right. just I,
0: so you're a luxury, don't hire designers, disregard the previous hour of talking
1: i <laughs> I, I do think that. Every case is different. And if someone just really wants to open a cafe, someone really wants to open a bar, and they just don't have the coin to hire a designer, don't let that hold you back. Right. But you are proof positive. If someone sits you down and asks you smart questions, you will give them so much information that would make them sidestep a lot of mistakes. You know, my buddy Ian opened Three Carrots. He didn't engage to hire me to design his space, but he was smart. And he's like, can you look over my lease? What should I be asking for? Who pays for the hood in the kitchen? These kinds of things, just to make sure you don't get dicked right off the bat and make bad decisions. Those are the things that I think are real important. This, you know, sure. manifestation of I mean, concept into physical space it. is fun.
0: It is fun. And it is luxury. You're right. It is luxury. Now, that I mean, you, think you about like, Inferno rooms. It is. You um,
1: are the Inferno Room.
0: Well, we had to do that because there was no way that understood how to build a tiki bar. It, it, like, and there it's was baller. No way. It comes
1: from your soul and your gut. You can't pay someone to pull that out. You have it. It's just when you're stuck that you need help. Sure. And if you know what you want, you don't need me.
0: I don't know, man. I, I, I think that uh, I'm a bigger... Um, just cha- kidding. Hire I, a designer. Right. <laughs> I'm a bigger champion of your profession than I think you are because um, it's... Again, like I said at the top of the show, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of hiring a professional to, to do a professional's job. Sure. Um,
1: it takes a lot off your plate, for it, sure. It,
0: it's not even taking it off my plate, but it's it's giving me a perspective that I don't typically have. You know, and I only know what I know, and you know what you know. Yeah, and it's true. when we put our heads together, we can come up with something pretty fantastic, like the house that we're, you know, my, my home studio that we're sitting in at the moment <laughs> with my guitars and banjo and basses in the background. Like, I mean, this is not something that I would have like probably conceptualized myself. You know, I would have just thought about like, hey, I just need a bedroom and some bathrooms and whatever, and we're, we're good. But I, I don't want you to undervalue what you do because it's, it is important. And I think what you've done for me, and this is why I invited you on the show, is you were able to draw things out of me in a way that I don't think anybody else has. Yeah. You know, um, and those personal relationships You know, they're tough and and I don't know what other interior designers do out there, Um, but I would encourage any restaurateur or bar owner or or homeowner that's, that's building a custom home for that matter to like ask hard questions and try to to, I guess, develop that relationship because it you get surprised by the results, right? Yeah. Like you, you I mean, we just, by the human element, as you discussed earlier, we just can't think the same. We can't, we sure. have different backgrounds. We're similar age, but not the exact same age. We, you grew up in a different area than I did. And so you're going to have a, a different outlook. Well, please, on you were a
1: zip code over.
0: All right. So one <laughs> fucking zip code. <laughs> we're in Indiana though. They're like a New York zip code, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I I value what you do a lot more now than I would have 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Like you just said, like, whatever you just did Siam square by yourself. But, you know, uh, you know, I walk into that dining room every day. I'm like, I I would love to be able to redesign this a little bit, but I just, I can't shut down. Like, it's just, it's too much lost revenue if I shut down. Well, to be fair,
1: now that I've worked on this house with house with you and Sassaton, when I walk into Siam square, because I consider that her baby there's a hundred things I would do differently to reflect <laughs> her as a person and a business owner, because she is so much more. She's so much. She's so. She's richer than that environment, and I wish people could see how much that woman cares about the food, the ingredients, the people that are cooking the food. She's just. She's so, so passionate.
0: More Iron Maidens and balls. No, <laughs> just
1: kidding. I'm like, <laughs>
0: Um, no, for real. Like, I mean, the, the back of house really runs that show at, yeah. my, at, at that restaurant and I would love for them, but they all refused. And, and that's really, I mean, honestly, why I'm sitting here on a podcast and why anybody gives a fuck who the hell I am at all. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't come from me. It comes from my chef who never wanted to do an interview.
1: That's what I'm saying. She
0: refused.
1: I'm not, I'm not the thing. The people who hire me are the thing. Right. I'm just like. I get it yeah. on paper.
0: You're the one willing to do an interview. Yeah. Oh, no. No, I mean, that was, that was me, like, for real. Like, <laughs> like, my chef at Siam, like, she's Thai. She has an accent. She doesn't perfectly understand uh, English. So every time they wanted to interview somebody from Siam Square, they said, well, you do it. You do it. You do it. And in the beginning, that was like, what, 08? The economy was in the shitter. Nobody fucking gave a shit about, like, fine dining in Indianapolis. Not even fine dining. We're definitely not fine That's That's the wrong terminology. But, like, nobody was caring about food, right? Like, I mean, you were just kind of, we were all still watching Emerald go bam on TV, right? (laughs) And so, like, every time there was an interview request, they were like, well, you do it. You do it. You do it. You do it. And that's how my name got into the media. And it, it was nothing but fucking dumb luck. Like, I didn't earn this, you know? Yep. Like, all I did was, like, speak English fluently. And that's how I got to where, like, we are now. And, like, I'm I'm very, like... You
1: were talented, passionate, adjacent. I,
0: right. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> well, I don't think we can put it better than that. So let's just fucking wrap it up there, yeah, man. cheers. Hey, um... Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nikki. We're going to be in Miami for the next several weeks. Um, Well, actually, we're going to be in Miami for a short time. Don't say
1: we. I'm staying here. Yeah,
0: Nikki's staying here. We're freezing her to death. We're in Indiana. But um, we're going to be heading to, uh, or I'm going to be heading to Miami. And we're going to have several episodes. Hopefully, uh, everything pans out. But we're definitely going to have some cool guests on the show. So check it out while we're in warm weather and avoiding the Midwest. And we'll be back with you here in a couple weeks. So... Nikki, thank you so much. Oh, and my like pleasure. I know for all of our listeners out there, hopefully you, you you think about that. Like as you're opening a place or building a place, you know, think about the importance of a design. Like it's just, it is more important than you think it is.
1: You need to work with someone that you can high five and yell at and you, no hard feelings.
0: High five and yell at them. You know what? <laughs> I believe we've done both.
1: Yeah, you gotta be honest. You gotta be honest. We
0: have absolutely done both. All right. But cheers. Again, thanks, folks. Have a great night, and cheers.